It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. to this edition of First Down Snapcast. I'm your host Richard Butler and joining me tonight we have a special guest and it's an honour to have on the show Super Bowl V winner of the Baltimore Colts and chairman of the Retired Players Congress, Bob Grant. Hello. Hello. All right. How are you? I'm good, are you? I'm doing fine. How's the weather in California today? Um... It's okay, yeah. You know, here it's cool one day, warm the next day, a bit volatile. <laughs> Excellent. Get straight into the show, Bob. Thanks for taking some time out to speak to us today. It's an absolute pleasure and honour to have a Super Bowl winner on a glittered career in the, in the pre-fancy NFL days when it used to be hardcore <laughs> back in yes, them days. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to start. You attended Wake Forest University. Yes, now, I did. Obviously, nowadays when you talk about colleges, your Clemson's, your Auburn's, your Oregon's, all them names. Back back in the sixties, it wasn't like that, was it? And I think Wake Forest was quite a tough university to get your football career off and started there, wasn't it? Well, it, Wake Forest is an, an excellent academic uh, school in this country. And uh, during the time that I went there, 
we still had segregation or American apartheid going on uh, there. So in the southern part of the country, we did not have integrated sports uh, at, at, at all. And Wake Forest and the University of Maryland were the very first schools to bring athletes of color on as a scholarship. There were four of us, one up at the University of Maryland, who was Daryl Hill, but Maryland really isn't the South. But in our old Confederate South, Wake Forest was the very first, uh, during a difficult time in this country, yeah. too, a frightening time in many ways, Wake Forest was the university that decided that they were going to step out and try for a change there. And myself and uh, Dr. William Smith now and uh, Kenneth Henry were the first three uh, uh, Black athletes to play at any of the major Southern universities in the United States. And that right. was 64. That's a big, that was a big statement of that, that time for the university to come out and make that decision. And I bet it, it must, there must have been a lot of pressure at the time as well, maybe for, against that decision as well. So it was good for him to stick to it. Yeah, it, uh, and uh, now it's just taken for, you know, granted there, when we see our football teams and basketball teams at the, major universities in the South. Now, the majority of the athletes are Black athletes, but many of those young men have no idea of what I and some others went through to make it possible for them to be there today. And that would be not just Black people, but uh, white people, that uh, Caucasian people that made it possible too, because it was a gamble for them at that time because that was a very violent time uh, you know, in this country with lynchings and bombings, et cetera. Very scary times, very scary. Um, in, in 1968, you were drafted in the second round. Before you were selected, was there any talk of any teams being interested in you at the time before you were drafted? Well, the, yes, the professional team started to watch me uh, in college uh, in my sophomore year, my second year of college and all the way through so that I knew that I would be drafted. But the really, really big surprise is was that as a little kid, as a little boy, my favorite team was the Baltimore Colts. And the Baltimore Colts in the three years that the professional teams were watching and visiting to see how we were progressing, how I was progressing, the Baltimore Colts only came once. Most of the other teams came you know, many times. And then as it turned out, um, the Baltimore Colts were the team that you know, so selected me. And that was my dream team and favorite team as a little boy when I was a little boy. You, you, they must have seen enough of you in that one visit to know that the decision was made for him not to come back. Well, I was a pretty tough player. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I was I, I was very surprised uh, when they drafted me. Quite, you know, frankly, I thought that the Oakland Raiders you know, or the Dallas Cowboys were going to take me, or the Kansas City Chiefs, because they had been showing the most interest. Um, over those three years, those uh, uh, of my varsity ball there. Yeah, very, like I said, the, the multiple visits, drafts, drafts back then, drafts in the 70s, 80s, 90s have all changed. And now modern day drafts, it seems to be like it's all it's entertainment. It's how many adverts you can get in. It's, it's, it's a marketing thing now and it's, there was none of them glitz and glamour in them days of going up on a big stage in front of thousands of people holding a t-shirt up. It's it really has changed from how it used to be. And was there even we even brought together as a draft in them days, or was it just a phone call, or was it just a meeting? <laughs> well, you know, the game has become uh, larger today than it was when we played. It was popular during the time that we played, but uh, nothing like, you know, what it has become today with the big advertisers who spend hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars uh, just for 30 seconds of advertising or for one minute of advertising. Uh, back when I was playing, uh, you know, the advertisers were the cigarette companies <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe the, you know, the, the beer companies or the alcohol companies and maybe the automobile companies. Uh, but today the game has become so large, uh, much like soccer and, and rugby internationally there that uh, all big companies must use sports to promote their products if they're going to prosper on the globe around the globe today yes definitely it's very how the world's driven it seems nowadays um you've always been a linebacker through at university did you always want to be a linebacker or did you, did you was there another position you would like to have played if you want a linebacker um well you and and in, in, in high school, I played a number of different positions. You you played wherever the coach that he wanted you to play on your, a game day. And then when I reached uh, the university level, there, you know, I was a defensive lineman, which are the big guys that are up front uh, there. And then when I reached the NFL, they moved me back to linebacker. And I guess that, you know, we are the, uh, if the linemen in American football are the elephants, then the linebackers would be the lions and, uh, you know, the uh, you know, panther, panthers and the defensive backs would be the cheetahs and the, uh, uh, thoroughbred resources. So I was kind of in between, you know, as a professional, I wasn't an elephant, uh, but I wasn't quite a cheetah 
uh, you're either more so a lion. Yeah, you're right in slap in the middle. It's like a fair bit above. Um, so obviously you said growing up, big Baltimore Colts fan, you were drafted by him. And during that time as well, in the professional era, Baltimore were one of the more successful teams in that yeah. kind of time. Yeah. When you were drafted and going into that franchise, not only being a fan and being a one of the more dominant teams, how excited were you? Um, I could not have been more excited because, oh, all the way back to when I was six years old or seven years old, that was my favorite team. And then to find that that team selected me, and this was a time when we did not have as many teams professionally as we do today. Today, I think we have oh, about 32 teams here. And back when I played, we, we may have had, oh, 18, 19, you know, maybe 20, uh, not that many. In the NFL, we didn't have that many there really. And while they carry, all of the teams today carry about 60 men on their squad and then about 10 men who are reserve players in case someone gets hurt. You know, during our day, each team only carried 40 men. So there were a lot fewer teams and there were a lot fewer jobs that were available at that time. Uh, opportunities to work, they were fewer. Yeah, it's, I said it's a cutthroat industry now getting for the spots where you're 32, but less teams and even less roster spots. Yes. They means less jobs for people, but when you're on them teams, you might have, might have I need you to do this, but you're also doing this as well. So yeah. Doubling, doubling up in ways on positions yes. potentially with Alessi on the rosters. Yes. So you're doing our day. We used to, we used to say, you know, the more you can do, the better your chances of sticking around. So okay. whatever the, whatever you were called on to do, you did it. To make sure that you could do your best there. Definitely. And that 1968 season was, without a doubt, a fantastic season for Baltimore. And you finished 13-1 and one in that season and went on to the NFL championship game to win. What... What was it like to play in that season where everything just clicked and went right? Well, I was a, a rookie, and our team was an older team at that time as far as the age of uh, our, our players. So we had a number of players who were nearing retirement. Actually, a few of them should have retired two, three, two or three years <laughs> before. <laughs> but... But we were running on reputation a lot, uh, you know, there then. And I, uh, you know, came on, I, you know, became a starter or number one um, for a fair part of that, that year. And then when we got down to the playoffs there, I was injured. So even though I was on the team and had to practice every day, I did not play in the champ in the championship game and I did not play in that Super Bowl even though I was on the team and I had played all of the year but injury kept me out of those two games but still I got paid and 
And after the, after the Jets beat us, we lost. I was kind of glad that I wasn't on the field for that game. I can imagine. Um, how influential was a young Don Shula in the success of the Baltimore Colts? Was the, could, you, could you see his vision then as to what he went on to do in later years? Uh, well, you know, one of the things that uh, that we liked about Don is Don had been you know, a player himself. And in age, he was pretty close to some of us. Actually, we had some, we had a few guys on our team who had played with him who were actually older than he was because at that time he became the youngest NFL head coach of all times. I don't remember his age, but he was very, very young. He was the youngest ever. So he could identify with the players in, in many ways, uh, ways that some older coaches couldn't. He was willing to gamble and take chances. And he kind of revolutionized the game a little bit there. Uh, the way that a couple of other coaches who were coming onto the scene there you know, did. We started to toss the ball, throw the ball, pass the ball more, much more than we had in years past. And of course, we had the great Johnny Unitas and his backup Earl Morrow. Um, so Shul was willing to gamble and willing to throw the ball a bit more than a number of the other teams were in the NFL. In the AFL, who merged with us right after that game, uh, they were throwing the ball a lot. But the NFL, who went back to the uh, uh, oh, 20s, they were, they were still playing the old rock'em, sock'em, knock-you-out kind of uh, <laughs> ball there still. He he became a genius. He wasn't a genius to start with, but I loved playing for him. He was a fair man. He was always a fair man. Excellent. Obviously, you didn't play in the championship game, as you mentioned, due to the injury in the playoffs. But as a team, was it seen as a, a success because you avenged the only team to defeat you in the regular season and in that championship game? The Brown, I think you restricted the Brown to like 173 yards. So as a team effort, it must have been like, ah, we got we got you back when it matters the most. Well, well we did, uh, yeah, we did we did well, but uh, there are football families, or you know, there were in the professional ranks. All of the coaches had come out of a just a few families. Uh, one family was the Paul Brown family, the coach of the Cleveland Browns at that time. And they had been a great, great team, had won more championships than anyone historically. The other family line was the Chicago Bear family line with Papa Bear George Hallis. Uh, so just about everyone who was playing in the NFL, the coaches, they had come from the Chicago Bear lineage, the Hallis family, 
or they had come from the Paul Brown lineage, the Browns, uh, the uh, uh, Cleveland Michael Browns, or the New York Giant lineage. You're there. There were three primary families. Don Shula had come down the road out of the Paul Brown family, Cleveland Browns, and then into Baltimore there. So when you were, when we were playing, uh, you know, lots of times with the head coaches, they were playing against their old mentors and their old teachers. Yeah, it's strange, but like I say, it still happens today though, because a lot of the teams nowadays take coaches from teams that have won and it's, it, it's, seems to happen, but there's more of these families now than just like back then when you had the three, there's lots of these coaching families yes. in the modern day. Um, that's a ball three, obviously, unable to play due to injury. Now, you mentioned there about the AFL and the NFL. Now, the Colts went into that game as the massive favourite. I think they were like up by 18 and stuff by bookies because... The NFL was perceived to be better than the AFL. Did yourself as a player, did you see that the same? Or because it was two different styles of games, you couldn't really compare it? Well, let's start at the beginning here. The coach, the head coach for the New York Giants had been our head coach at Baltimore. So... Don Shula had played under Reeve Eubank. Reeve was a smart old guy. All of the guys on our team had played for Weave. Weave knew them very well. And the thing that he knew, you know, he had a really talented team with a lot of our friends, Joe Namath, et cetera, who were playing there. We were all friends back then. Um, he had a talented young team, but I think that the big edge that he had, he knew that we were an old team and he knew which of our guys were on their last legs. And that is who he went after all day long. They threw the ball in the areas where we had older guys and they ran the ball in the area that we had older guys there. And as it turned out, with a lot of our older guys, they had that year and maybe the year before, they had been getting by on reputation. People were avoiding them based on what they had done back during their youth. Well, we knew that they weren't young anymore. So he went directly after them with a fine team because the New York Jets were a fine team and they were the better team that day. Yeah. Like I said, I think the that's where your coach comes in. To see the weakness and the focus on it. And I think that is shown still now in football in certain games. You can be really good, but if your team's got a weakness on your great side, if you eliminate that problem, you're going to have a bad day. Like, example, last year in the Super Bowl, Tampa took out Patrick Mahomes' O-line 
which effectively made his job even harder, which effectively eliminated him from the game. Yes. Which gave Tampa a massive advantage already with a great quarterback with Tom Brady. They made it even better because they neutralised Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I agree. So, but Kansas City has been trying to shore up on that problem, you know, this year. Oh, and yes. they, they are looking, they are looking very, very good right now. I would have to say that I would consider them the favorite because of the players that they have bought in for the upcoming season to protect Patrick Mahomes, who is one of the most dynamic, phenomenal, exciting young athletes that I've seen for years. He's definitely the future of the NFL and he's going to his fourth year. I know we're going a bit off topic here, but he's going to his fourth year. He's already been at two Super Bowls in, yeah. in his first three years. So that shows that he is a talent and Kansas needs to do the right thing and protect him because you're not in the game for long. And if you're not getting protection, it'll shorten your career. We don't want to lose a talent like that, shorten his career. You're absolutely correct. Going back to Baltimore, and two years later, the team had sort of gone under a bit of a transition period. The older players had moved on. The rookies who had come in with yourself at the time, he'd been an extra two years veteran. And now under the stewardship of Don McCaffrey, you reach the Super Bowl again, Super Bowl five. You're in Orange Bowl again, so the repeat of where you lost to the Jets. What was different this time regarding like the team mentality going in, knowing that you'd lost two years previously in the same stadium and the mentality got that experience? So do you use that as your motivation to make sure it didn't happen again? Or was it because you were taught the old players and moved on? Well, for that game, I have to be honest and say that was the game that could have gone either way. I think that there was pressure on both teams to perform. So there was quite a bit of nervousness on the part of the Dallas Cowboys and on the part of the you know, Baltimore Colts. And we had lots of friends who were playing for the Cowboys, and we all respected Coach Tom Landry, who had come out of the New York Giant family uh, line, and who was a great coach himself he also. Uh, he had a number of great players there at that time, all men of good character and good friends because there were so few of us at that time who were professional football players in the United States here, uh, there. So um, we won the game, but both teams were very nervous. And I don't think that either, either of the teams turned in their best performance of the year. Uh, both teams made some mistakes that they would not have made ordinarily. 
and the way that things just ended up, the wind blew our way. But the Super Bowl world champion that year could just have, just as easily have been the Dallas Cowboys as it was the Baltimore Colts. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was a very close game and Baltimore were dealt a big blow losing Johnny in the second quarter to an injury. And yes. Obviously, obviously, previous visit they'd lost and to lose your, your starting quarterback, it, did the group, the groupies say, we're going to do this, we can do this, even without Johnny, we'll, we'll pull through. Very, with the mistakes going either way, it was still the opportunity there to turn around, which Baltimore obviously did. Well, and again, like I would like to say that we were confident. We weren't, nor were, <laughs> nor were the Cowboys. You were just scared to death. And with us, it was like, oh my goodness, please. We can't lose a second one <laughs> because we may never get a chance to get back here again. And you, know, as I said, fortune just smiled on us that afternoon, but the Dallas Cowboys squad was every bit the team that we were uh, that year. It was very evenly matched, evenly matched yeah. going into that Super Bowl. Yes. What were, your, what were your feelings getting that first Super Bowl win? Obviously, you get to celebrate with your family and stuff. And was it like a, your dream of when you supported Baltimore Colts as a six year old to be world champion? eventually we are we are team was that even more special yes uh, because you know growing up one of the things that I always wanted is I wanted to become a world champion in something I wanted to be the very best at something in the world um, you know, my grandfather, who raised me, was born in Haiti, Jeremy, in 1894, and sneaked into this country <laughs> uh, with his brothers illegally, I think back in about 1913 or so, and went into the American army and were, they were sent to France as cooks because the uh, they were proficient in French at that time. But my grandfather, after he came here, was a, a friend and a part of the entourage of the great heavyweight boxing champion, Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champion of the world. And so I grew up hearing these stories of champion Jack and how he overcame so many obstacles to become the champion of the world. And uh, so that seed was planted uh, early on you know, in my life that it would be very nice if you could be the very best in the world at what you do at some day. And for one afternoon, I was among the very best in the world at my profession. It's next, and even now, all these years later, because you won the Super Bowl, your name is still mentioned when talk about Super Bowl greats. Your name will always be mentioned in 50 years, 60 years. It'll still be there because you were a world champion. 
there, you know, there is a great deal of satisfaction, you know, there. But one of the things that uh, I've come is most of the older players do, and I'm going to tell you about this shirt before we leave, uh, is when you are younger and perhaps during the early years of your career, you think that you're playing for yourself. You know that you're representing your city and you know that you're representing your team. But as you grow older, you realize, or I've come to realize, that the opportunity that I had to play came about because of so many different people. The good performances that I had on the field were inspired and they were brought about by those fans, those kids, uh, those Baltimore Colts fans or Washington Redskins fans who were in the fan who were in the stands cheering you on. So the career is really not about me as a player or any other player. When you look back, it's about all the people who support you, who inspire you, who, when you get the daylights knocked out of you and you're on the ground, you don't want to get up. You know that they are counting on you to getting to get up and they're cheering for you to get up and some sort of way, magically, they pick you up when you probably would not or could not get up on your own. So the entire career and the game is about the fans, uh, you know, more so than it was those of us who played. Yeah, if I say without the fans, there is no football because you go out and play for them and they cheer you at the cheer. If you, you lose, you win. You have a bad game, they'll be there for you. They'll always pick you up, like you say there. Um, just one couple more quick ones before we move on. Ted Hendricks, did you know from playing at a young age he was going to become a Hall of Famer? No. Did you just, no. <laughs> no, no. Ted uh, was six foot seven, 195 pounds. Uh, I don't know what that. Uh, uh, 195 pounds in, in, in our measurement. So while he was good, he was very, he was very thin. He was a good player and he was a great college player, but you could not have foreseen his having the career and becoming the great player that he did become. And he was the kid on our team. Uh, a young man who was fascinated with uh, everything and uh, very much enjoyed playing like you know, the game. But he developed and became like you know, a great player. He was a wonderful human being and he was very kind and generous to fans always. Yeah, such he was such a kind person. Obviously, I've only been able to watch him from highlights and tapes, but he seemed such a 
down to earth and kind person. He never, he never kind of like you grew up. He was always a prankster. <laughs> <laughs> was, he, was he always the one in the locker room? If something had happened, he was normally behind it. Yeah, he was one of them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I can imagine the youth starting it. Your final season in the NFL wasn't actually at Baltimore. It was at the Washington Redskins. Was there any reason for the move? Did you want to finish in Baltimore or did an opportunity arise in Washington for you? Well, just between you and our fans, I went to Washington because I punched the coach at Baltimore. <laughs> we had a bit of a disagreement and he was wrong in what he said. He was wrong in what he called me, the name, the uh, slang word that he used to go there. And so what happened uh, was I knocked him out cold. Uh, and then at the end of that year, I was the starter. Then it had been the year before, you know, they would, uh, you know, put me into the games when there were passing situations, AQ, et cetera. And with my friend and roommate, Ray May, they replaced me as the starter, which I had been the starter with Ray. And Ray was my equal as a player in any way and I you would have to say that I was his equal so we didn't lose anything you know by doing that but you know at that time coaches were coaches and players were coaches I mean players were you know players so while I continued to play and at the end of that season I asked you know to be traded you know because I knew that that wasn't going to be forgotten because it was the first time in history that a player had ever knocked a coach cold. Yeah, it's maybe, like I say, it's not very, I think it's best for, but best for yourself to not be put in a situation like that again and make it easier. So after retirement, what did you do for the first few years? Was it, could you switch off about playing or did you get an itch like, I want to go back and play? Or were you like, no, playing's done. Well, I worked in, uh, for uh, a few years after I retired, I, I worked in Las Vegas and uh, I enjoyed the years that I spent uh, working there. And after that, I came back down to Los Angeles and because I wanted to do businesses myself and see here and in Hawaii to see how I would do there. And I did well. I did very well in, in the businesses that I had there um, with the companies that I had. And I was in the restaurant business for a while and I did very well with like, your dad. And then no, some years ago when I had uh, retired, I called myself like you're retired. I was drafted by the retired NFL players <laughs> as chairman of the board for our retired NFL Players Congress. And we are one of the groups, the good groups, that represents uh, our retired NFL players, where we do things to help them, retired players, our widows, 
and we do an awful lot of work in the various communities around the country with kids, with senior citizens. But uh, I think that was over 10 years that I've been doing that now. I'm still trying to retire. And every year the fellows tell me the same thing. Two more years, just, just stay on for two more years. <laughs> so right now I've taken a, a two year extension as chairman you know, for there, but I enjoy the work that we're doing. And we are a for-profit corporation that is owned and operated entirely by the retired NFL players. We do business with the NFL and the owners. We do business with various other companies, but this corporation is owned, controlled, and operated by us. And we manufacture most of the professional sports jackets that you see around the world and on the internet, along with G3. Well, G3 doesn't manufacture. And we import and distribute pretty much all of the jack jackets that you see from professional basketball, hockey, uh, the NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, NASCAR, the United States Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps. So we are a profitable business and we do well. And the shirt that I'm wearing here is our newest line uh, that we are releasing that is allowing us to do a lot of good for a lot of good to your people, your kids who are ill, senior citizens, uh, different charities and programs. And this shirt is a series. We have a series of pictures and uh, the series is called when football was football. And that was still W-U-Z-Z. When football was football, please everyone, you'll support us and the good work that we try to do for everyone by going to amazon.com and just type, I don't know how to do all of that young people. <laughs> But just you know, type in on the typewriter or board on your computer. Type, go to Amazon.com and type in when football, W-U-Z-Z, -Z, was football, and purchase one of two, one or two of our shirts. I would appreciate that tremendously. We will definitely do that. And we'll, when the podcast goes live this week, Bob, we'll put a link in with the shirt and hopefully we can help you from the UK in a great great thing what you do for all the retired players and it looks after you guys yourself as well by doing that and it's i'd like to say bob it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show talk about your time back in the 60s nfl championship super bowls and how it's brought you through till now and what you're doing nowadays and hopefully you'll get to retire in two years Finally. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> if, you, if you get invited to a dinner party and they start bringing up um, discussions, you're like, we're not going down. I'm not extending. It's not happening no more. <laughs> but yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure to hear your, your, your story, Bob. Well, thank you for your remembering us because as I always say with 
my comrades. You know, they were the men who made the game. Uh, and it's entertaining for people all over the world now. And I just keep hoping and waiting for them to open that London franchise up. I'm sure that that's gonna be the first franchise there. And I know that in the UK, that there are many, many uh, diehard fans, which is why every year they go there and they play games. But uh, when they do let that franchise there, um, London, London has always been one of my favorite cities all the way back to the 60s and the time of the Beatles and the Stones and et cetera. When I spent a little time there, I look forward to returning there as a fan someday to watch you know, a game by the London, whatever their mascot. <laughs> Could be anything. I think, I think COVID probably delayed the plans a few years, but I think it's been growing and growing each year with the international games. And I think it's positive that they're now looking at other countries for games. So potentially, I could see maybe franchise in, in England and in Germany over the next 10, 15 years just how much it's grown, but it wouldn't have grown if it worked for guys like you back in the heyday. And we have to thank you for that, Bob. Well, thank you. And, and finally, which is the theme of our shirts here, these are all very rough, if not violent. You know, the action of the pictures that are shown on these shirts that we're doing there. When we played, it was a very rough game with fewer rules and you could not count on the referees to protect you on most Sundays. On most Sundays, you were on your own, but I loved playing the game the way that we played it then. While I still do appreciate the modifications that they have made to make it a safer game today. Yeah. The safety's got to be the key thing. But, but again, absolute pleasure, Bob, and I hope you keep safe and we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. I hope so. You'll please you'll keep me uh, in your address book like you're there. And anytime you would like for me to come on or you would like to bring some of the other players on, just let me know and I'll bring some of the other old fellows on for you. No worries, Bob. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, good night. Good night, thank you. Okay. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.